Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another awesome episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. We're here with a new friend of mine we just recently met on LinkedIn. Her name is Connie Jacob. She's the Director of Community for the Global Movement Flourishing Life and is also the Senior Manager of Wellness Innovate. She's the author of Bring Them Closer, which we're going to talk about more, and two other books. Connie is passionate about rebelling against a status quo living and encouraging others to bring out. She's also the founder of National Hope Movement Combating Mental Health in Canada. And last but not least, she lives with her husband and two boys in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Connie, thanks for agreeing to come on today. I'm really excited for this conversation. Oh, I'm excited too. I love the name of your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. And actually, on that note, that's what made me stop in my social media feed scrolling tracks because you very recently were talking about your own family and how in many ways you, your kids, have felt like misfits in their own right. And I actually want to read a an excerpt from your post. And here goes. I want to get your reaction to that. But you said that after working in schools for over 20 years in mental health and resilience, I have seen students like my son time and again. All they want is to be understood and seen. They need teachers to believe in them just as the likable ones. And you have a letter to teachers that says, Dear teachers, as you start your year, I want you to remember the child in the corner, the one who doesn't fit the mold, the one who is prickly and oppositional, the one who doesn't make your job easy. You can bring them to life. We don't send the hurting away. We bring them closer. And that's where... My heart just takes leaps um, for joy and applause because everything about that is everything I'm really passionate about. So tell us more about all of that. There's a lot in there, but what prompted you to even put that out there this past week? Well, you know, I, I do have a son who has been labeled and diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder, but even beyond him, this has been my history for over 20 years working with kids like that, the kid in the corner, and just seeing a lot of their, a lot of the, the barriers that they face. And even watching in schools, I've been teaching in schools for over 20 years and just seeing how often that self-fulfilling prophecy that they have that I am oppositional, it, maybe they are, but it sure gets enhanced by the way we, the adults, treat them. And if we see them as oppositional, they will be. And so my son, it's interesting how even so close to home, my favorite children were always the prickly ones. And now I'm a mother <laughs> of one. And I've had my own journeys of seeing him struggle in school and having teachers not understand him and having to pull him out and homeschool him. And even today, driving him to school, I mean, he has so much anxiety around going to school because he doesn't trust school and he doesn't trust teachers and a little bit of that is him but a little bit of that of course has been the environment that he's just constantly battling against and there's a lot of them out there so how have you helped him through that he's 15 right 15. so he's in high school 
Yeah, starting grade 10 here in Calgary. Yeah, and I just, that's where it's so hard to be a parent, right? It's one thing to be the misfit yourself. I grew up feeling like a proud misfit. Of course, there were times where that was hard, but in my household, that was really celebrated. And then I'm the mom to misfits, as you described in your own story, and it's this whole other level of challenge because we kind of know the, the things that come with that, the social isolation that can come with that, the confidence issues that can come with that. But we also can't fight their battles. We need them to advocate for themselves in school. We need them to speak up for themselves, express their needs. So what have you found helpful as you've coached him through going to school and hopefully having a good day most of the time? Yeah, that's a hard one because right now I'm the mom and I'm apparently a complete fool in his eyes. You know, <laughs> oh, like no. I, I, I'm not <laughs> There's that, that too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But there is something that he does listen to some degree. I mean, I keep telling him that you can do anything you put your mind to. Don't let anything limit you. But what I love about him is he questions absolutely everything, including the things that I say. So when I say don't ever let anything limit you, he's like, but mom, everyone has limits. Like, <laughs> and I'm laughing because I'm like, that's actually true. Everything <laughs> yeah, good point. Is, is wonderful. Like he actually has such an interesting perspective on life. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to motivate him because he definitely sees the glass as half empty, whereas I see it as half full. The, a lot of the things that he's challenging when it comes to school are things that we need to be listening to. He once said, teachers, yes, they might care, but what they really care about is the numbers because I'm a dollar sign. And I thought, what a bold statement, but he's right. Teachers are accountable. School administration is accountable and they get dollars for every child who shows up. And so for him, the mental health program, for example, he was in last year in school, their psychologist completely gave him counseling around just getting to school instead of seeing the fact that he was in bed for three months, even over Christmas holidays, not getting up to play online video games with his friends. That tells me that he's not just skipping out on school and he's not just skipping out and trying to take the easy road. He's stuck. And here's the psychologist basically counseling him on how to get to school and whether, and I'm not going to question the integrity of this counselor because he was a great man, but my son hears that and says, you're not listening to me. You're not seeing me. There's his story. Like they just need the dollar. And I think that our heart, at least my heart, isn't to call out the education system, but to call it up. And to think, mm. how can we do things differently? How can we stop treating these kids like another number? We just got to get them to class. What's really going on underneath their behavior? And that's what I found is the key to opposition. If you can find out what's, what the opposition is trying to tell us, then they'll feel seen, then they'll feel heard and understood. And the behavior will naturally change because the trust will be there, whereas we're often just trying to change their behavior and they know that. And so they'll rebel against that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I love everything you just said. 
I also think it's awesome that your son questions everything. I'm sure that can feel exhausting at times, but I know the world would not be what it is today if we didn't have people question things and make it better because of it. So I can't wait to see what he does and how he improves the world and puts his imprint on it because of that questioning that he has. But you're so right, making them feel seen and heard and like they matter. And I know you and I both have a mutual connection with Zach Mercurio, and he was on the Mothers of Misfits podcast. For everyone listening, if you have not yet listened to that episode, you need to go back. It's, don't tell everybody else, it's one of my favorites. It's so good. And the concepts in that relate to every single human interaction. It's not just kids, but it's so important that our kids know early and often that they matter. And I have never heard uh, that concept of calling up instead of calling out. And we often have conversations, especially on this podcast, about what's broken and the need to make it better. But sometimes it stops there. So how can we make it better? What are your ideas for how we can improve the system to work better for the misfits. I do think that as a mom advocating and not giving in, I had a principal say to me, but you just go rogue on us. And I'm like, well, yes, because this child mm-hmm. of mine has to make it. I also, because I really am solution oriented and I do believe that there are so many educators out there and administrators that want change. It's just, it's an old system. It's like turning the Titanic. So I always think, what can I do? Well, I can advocate for my son and I can be honest and I can be kind in my honesty. And if I find that there's not a win-win, I take it. He's my responsibility. He's not the school's responsibility. He's my responsibility. And so I take action on what I can do for him outside of school. But in terms of what I do now, before I would work with a lot of youth at risk, whereas now... I work for a company that actually is providing a certification that can help. And this thrills me because I'm not one to complain about what's wrong with the world without Mm -hmm. wanting to have something. And for so many years, I didn't have anything. And now we finally have this flourishing framework where we can help educators see how do you move a child, especially those prickly ones, through being not just resilient, because many of them, they are resilient. The oppositional Mm -hmm. ones, they are resilient. You don't have to teach them nothing. What they need is they need to know, like you said, that they matter, that there's purpose. How do we bring them to that place? This teaches educators how to. One of the gaps that we have in our education system is that in university, these teachers aren't trained how to do that. They're trained how to educate. Mm -hmm. They're trained how to teach English and math. And many teachers have said to me, I feel like I need to go back and get a whole degree in psychology in order just to teach today. Whereas I'm like, here you go. In one weekend, you're going to learn how to take a child through that resilience to finding out how they matter. And so I'm really thrilled because finally I have a bit of a tool in my toolkit for these wonderful educators who actually want what we want. We just need to meet in the middle somehow. What would you say to the folks, speaking of opposition and oppositionists, who say, you're asking too much of teachers. They already have a big job to teach history or to teach math and to also be the psychologist. It's just too much. And having them cater to every single student and all the different needs, this is impossible. What would you say to them? 
maybe in an old framework, it's impossible. But one of the things that uh, a teacher and everyone can do this, we want to bring kids right now, kids spend most of their day in the back of their brain. So past the amygdala, right? They're in that reptilian brain. And when you're back there, you can't learn. So yes, you can come with your game plan and your lesson plan and teach history and all that you want. But if you can know how to take that child from the back of their brain back to the front, to their prefrontal cortex, that child will learn. They will come out of anxiety. And so teachers can't afford not to be spending time at the beginning of the year, beginning of each day, beginning of each class. How am I going to take 10 minutes to bring these children from the back of their brain, being on guard, looking around, who's got my back, who doesn't, does my teacher like me, does she not, or he not? How do I bring them back to a place of reasoning and creativity and innovation? And honestly, if we just planned that into a lesson, because 85% of all information that we receive, whether it's being taught, coached, whatever, 85% is based on connection and trust. And if that's not there, that child's not learning. And so mm. I guess I would say to any educator who says, I don't have time for that, I say, good luck. You're not going to be able to do it without that. Because one thing with oppositional defiance disorder is I don't believe in that diagnosis at all. Because when a child knows that, they're, that they can trust an adult, you won't see opposition. So if it was truly a disorder, they would always be oppositional. They wouldn't come out of that. But when a child knows they can trust and when they've been brought out of that anxiety, you'll see the best in them. And it works. The great thing is, is that you're catching the oppositional ones, but you're also doing a great favor to the great students who may be in the back of their brain as well. They just know how to fake it better. So this reminds me of the work that I do with companies and I go in and train them on various topics relating to talent management. But one of those is how to give and receive feedback. And that's all about the, the growth of the individual, helping them to learn and develop. And the first thing we talk about is you cannot receive meaningful feedback or give it outside the context of a trusting, respectful relationship. And if you think about it for our own selves, would you take feedback from a stranger versus your best friend? Which one do you put more weight in? You know, which one are you more inclined to listen to and follow? And you're talking about the same things. Much of the classroom and education should be a feedback loop. You know, we're teaching something, they're growing, they're getting that feedback, hopefully that confirmation, validation. And to your point, if there's not trust, if there's not mutual respect, and it does go both ways, and our kids need to know that, it's not a one-way street from the teacher to you. But if that's not there, I love how you described that process there's just a, a halt and nothing else matters and the teacher can be the most amazing teacher at their subject the most uh, best expert in their field but that student has just totally checked out I haven't thought about it in that way but yes that's so powerful and something you you talk about as being your key message which is interesting I want to delve into this a little bit more is you say we don't send the hurting away we bring them closer and that falls again in line with that concept of relationship. How do we do that? And, and tell me more about why we need to do that. <laughs> so that's the name of my book, Bring Them Closer. And uh, a little story behind that concept was uh, my oldest son, who we're chatting about in this podcast, he was suicidal at age eight. And oh I had to take goodness. him to the children's hospital. 
And depression oh for him showed up as rage and anger and thrashing and throwing and swearing. And when I took him to the hospital and the psychologist asked me, what do you do? What does depression look like for him? Why is he suicidal? And then I told her that it was rage. And she asked me, so what do you do when your son throws these fits of rage? And I said, well, I send him to his room. You can't be, a, can't come out until you're ready to be a civil person. I mean, that's how mm -hmm. I grew up. I was taught to do the same. Yep. Yeah. Don't give attention to the bad behavior. Send them away. Send them yeah. away. But mm -hmm. then she said, oh, no, you never send the hurting away from you. You bring them closer. And I was embarrassed. Me working in mental health and resilience for all these years had no idea what she was talking about. And when I brought him home three weeks later, he was medicated and he had a counselor. And isn't that just what we think is the answer? These kids just need counseling. They just need medication. And yet that first fit of rage hit again. And I remember feeling so desperate. But I remembered what she said, bring him closer. So I tried to hug him. And I don't recommend ever hugging someone mm -hmm. who is dysregulated because it just doesn't work. But then I just sat with him. I just sat with him in, in that room. I removed all the objects that could be thrown. And I would just say, son, you belong at our home. We love you. Nothing is going to break our connection with you. And then these words came out of my mouth. I'm not trying to change your behavior. And then I almost spit up with my words because <laughs> I'm thinking I actually want to change his yeah. behavior because yeah. I want the rage to stop. But mm -hmm. at that moment, I wanted so much to connect with him more than I wanted him mm -hmm. to behave himself. And at first he didn't really receive any of this because the trust bucket was very low. Mm -hmm. uh, but I showed up like that for a year, a year. And that's when I started to see change in him in regards to depression and the trust between us. And so a lot of times parents will say to me or teachers, I tried bringing a child closer. It doesn't work. I'm like, talk to me in a year. These things take mm -hmm. time. They take time and they take consistency. And I think in our world, we are so taught to push the hurting away. I even think of the circle work that I would do in schools through hip hop. I, I would teach resilience through hip hop. And I remember this one boy, he was bullied. He was the kid in the corner. He just had a, a vendetta against life. Mm -hmm. And I remember him coming to our circle and he came up to me and said, please don't make me go in the middle. And of course, I, it's always an option. But it was interesting that day, the circle it was powerful. Everybody was leaning in and people were clapping. And I watched mm -hmm. this kid with severe anxiety and a chip on his shoulder go into the middle of the circle and just dance his little heart out while everyone cheered for him. And I have to say, it was amazing to see this child come alive in safe community. And so this idea that we, when we bring the hurting closer, bravery and the things that we want to see rise in them will actually rise. That's such a powerful story because for you, that might have been one hour of one day. And I've seen time and time again, and I'm sure you have too, that for that student, that might have just totally changed the course of their life. That experience might have totally turned them around in their confidence, in their sense of belonging, 
and their sense of meaning. And I applaud you for the work that you're doing and that that's what's going on in your world. And I feel so much encouragement for those parents who are listening and they're in month nine or they're in month 10 and they are about to throw in the towel or maybe they already have because they're in that headspace of this is exhausting. I've tried this. It isn't working. Will this ever change? Does this actually work? And I love to hear your encouragement around, yes, it works, but it takes time. And this is the long game, not the short game. And gosh, we're in such an immediate gratification society. That's always hard to hear. And we got to keep preaching it to each other. But that's just so amazing. Yeah. So I'm sure everybody listening now is really interested in understanding more about the work you're doing. So how could they get a hold of you? We're on Instagram, Connie Jacob. My last name is J-A-K-A-B. Certified flourishing coach. If anyone's feeling like I need tools, I need support. I need, I don't want to be a life coach, but I just need to know how to help my child, help my student, help my coworker, help my employees. This is a weekend and it can just make all the difference. I think in our COVID world, there are these skills that we actually will all need moving forward. And so happy to provide that for people. That's so true. And that's what I love about everybody I get to talk to on this podcast. Of course, we're here to talk about parenting and our kiddos. But this is just life stuff. This is just human nature stuff. This is something we all need. And honestly, a bunch of us didn't get it as kids. And so we're still craving it as adults and trying to make up for that. So Connie, it's so awesome the work that you're doing and all the different ways that folks can plug in with you. I hope they take full advantage of that. And as we always do, we're going to give extra insider information about you as our guest on our episode insider newsletter. So if listeners haven't signed up for that yet, be sure to do it. Go to mothersofmisfits.com. You can sign up there in 30 seconds or less. Connie, thank you again. We just really appreciate you coming on today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.